Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. this morning <laughs> I just I just saved you money for lunch right there because now you're, you're too sick to eat right well how many of you know that sometimes when you're in a dry wilderness place you will do things that you wouldn't normally do right and there's a lesson in that by the way sometimes you have to do things you wouldn't normally do and then there are, you also have to be on guard because there are sometimes when you're dry that you will do things you wouldn't normally do, right? And we'll get to that here in just a second. But we've been learning about the lessons that we need to know to deal with the dry places in life. How many of you understand that there is a day coming? If you haven't already been there, if you're not there now, there will come a day when you will find yourself dry spiritually. Amen. There, I wished it was always you were on cloud nine, and I wished it was always a cakewalk, and I wished it was always easy and a bed of roses. But the truth is, I'm just telling you the truth. The truth is, is that there will come a moment in your spiritual journey where you will find yourselves dry. But that's all right, because I've also told you that it requires, for us to become spiritually mature, requires that at moments we go through dry times. See, I know none of you have ever been through any dry times. You're not like Job. You remember what Job said? I read it to you the first week. He said, I can't find God anywhere. I know you've never experienced that. I'm just telling you how it is for me. There have been moments in my life when I got down on my knees to pray, and it seemed like my prayers were going about this high and bouncing right back down to me, and I couldn't find an answer, and I couldn't seem to get a word, and everybody else is dancing, and everybody else is having a great time in God, and I'm standing there going, what? What's this all about? I don't feel anything. I don't experience anything. It's a dry moment in our life. But they are inevitable. You will go through some dry times. So we've been teaching you lessons to help you learn the lessons that you need to survive the wilderness. The first one we taught you was this. Wilderness is not a location. It is a condition. doesn't matter. You can try to change your location. If you don't deal with the dry times of your life, you will just take the dryness with you. The second thing I taught you was that wilderness is common to everybody. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. doesn't matter how many times you fast a week. doesn't matter how much you tithe. You will still find yourself in wilderness moments because it's common to everyone. I told you that if you stay in the wilderness too long, you will die there. This is one stop on our journey. It's not our final destination. It's just one season of our life that matures us into what we're supposed to be. I told you, number four, that the wilderness keeps our desires from outrunning our development. You'll remember we talked about that last week, that if we're not careful because we have all these desires in our hearts that we want to do and all the significant things that we want to do, if we don't spend some time in the wilderness, our desires will outrun our development and we will hurt people. And so God uses the dry moments of, the, of our life to prepare us and to develop us into spiritual maturity. I told you that in the wilderness, we learn how to truly worship. Anybody can worship when their checkbook's full, when their gas tank's full, when nobody in their house is sick, when they've never experienced anything hard. But those that really know God are those that can worship during the dry moments, the painful moments, the aggravating moments, when you can still raise your hand and say, my situation doesn't change his worthiness, then you are truly learning how to worship God. Because we must worship God for who he is, not what he does. 
Then I also told you last week that to survive the wilderness, you had to know where to hide. And I told you that you got to learn to hide in solitude and you got to learn to hide in obscurity. But ultimately, the most important place for you to learn to hide is in his word. Because if you can live in his word, God's word will sustain you. You need a feeling word and a fighting word. I've also told you that we've been kind of mapping this journey by Moses' wilderness experience and David's wilderness experience and Jesus' wilderness experience. Those are the great wilderness experiences in the Bible, and we've been going through those. So I want to read to you a portion of Scripture in a little bit different area this morning. Most of you have heard this portion of Scripture all your life. We use this portion of Scripture all the time because it promises us that out of the dry times there is hope. And we, we like to talk about this portion of Scripture, and I want to draw your attention to it. It's in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. And you know this. It says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That is a promise from God that right in the middle of our dry moments of life that he, will, he has hope for us, that He can nourish us during those dry times and he can, bring, he can make a way where there is no way and He can bring us things, water to drink in the, right in the midst of the driest moment of our life. He can sustain us. And we like to quote that and we like to talk about that portion of Scripture. But let me just caution you. It says that He will do a new thing. And because it says he will do a new thing, we have to use extreme wisdom, we must use extreme caution, and we must call in godly counsel on our lives. And the reason is lesson number seven. Let's learn wilderness lesson number seven. Survival lesson number seven. While you're in the wilderness, you'll receive offers you're expected to refuse. All right, now think about this. He had experienced it before when he was a young man. Moses had seen Pharaoh come along and try to destroy the entire nation of Israel. He had seen this before, but now he is much older. And God, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 13, Moses has been leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, through a survival mode, and because of their hard-heartedness and hard-headedness, they must have been, no, they weren't teenagers. They were, okay, uh, because of their hard-heartedness and hard-headedness, I know y'all don't have a teenager at y'all house. I'm getting ready to get one. I've got one that thinks he is, all right? And, and there are times I go, man, they're hard-headed. That's what God said about the children of Israel. He said they're so hard-headed and so hard-hearted that here's the offer that God makes Moses. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 13, I'll kill them all and start over with you. In other words, God says, I will finish what Pharaoh started, and I will create a brand new nation with you. So I know the first time he experienced he was much younger, but now as an older man, he carries the weight on his shoulders of this decision, should I do this or not? The future of the nation rests upon his, sh- on his shoulders. David experienced it too. It seemed like the perfect setup. You'll remember the story. Saul is throwing spears at David, trying to kill him, and David takes off out of the palace, and he begins to hide in the caves and the hills, and he's, he's barely escaping. You need to go read it sometimes. It's, a cool, it's the precursor to Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. Every time it seems like the coyote's about to get the Roadrunner, the Roadrunner just escapes by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin. That was the situation with David and Saul. Every time that Saul would just about grab David, somehow he would escape, but suddenly something happens. 
It seemed like the perfect setup. David's been running for days and months and, and, and all this, exterior, this extended period of time. He's away from family and friends, living like a dog. When all of a sudden, the Bible says that on this particular day, David and his men are hiding in a cave and Saul doesn't know he's there. And the Bible says that Saul stops in for just a short moment. In fact, if you go read it in the Living Bible, what it tells you is that Saul was taking a restroom break in the cave. But what he doesn't know is that in the back of the cave, David and his mighty men are there, and his men look at David, and they begin to elbow David, and they say, this is perfect. This is the new thing we've been waiting for. This is the perfect setup. We will kill Saul and make you king instantly. Jesus encountered the same thing. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness, he comes face to face with the enemy, and the enemy promises him an easier route. You understand that Jesus wasn't wasn't just God. He was God and man, wrapped up all in one uh, incredible individual. But he knew what was ahead, and he knew that the cross was not going to be fun, and it wasn't going to be easy, and it was going to hurt. And I think because he was part man and part God, the man part of him was crying out, I don't want to do this. And the enemy comes along and says, you know what? What you really long for is for your creation to worship you. How many of you know that that's God's ultimate, ultimate desire is for his creation to worship him? And the devil comes to Jesus and says, I've got an easier route. Forget the cross. Forget the whip. Forget the crown. Forget the nails. Forget the blood. Forget all this stress and agony and pain. And all you really need to do is throw yourself off the, the, the pillar of the temple and the angels will rescue you. And then I'll cause everybody to bow down to you and worship you. It was an easy easier route. It seemed like an easier escape. It was the perfect setup. In all three situations, it seemed perfect. Too good to be true. God sent. Remember now, in Isaiah, it tells us that God will do a new thing in the wilderness. This must be the new thing. He's set all this up to get us out of these situations, right? But I'll draw your attention to this fact. All three men In all three situations, as good as it seemed, as perfect as it seemed, as easy as it would have been, all three of them refused. And that is an important lesson for us to learn because, see, it sounded really good. Moses could now deal with cooperative, trained people instead of hard-headed people. David could have left the caves and become the king and lived in the opulence of the palace. Jesus could have had the worship he longed for and not had to go down a cross. And they all refused. And I draw your attention to that because lesson number seven is this. While you're in the driest moments of your life, there will be offers made to you that God expects you to refuse. For instance, right at the worst day on the job, the phone will ring. And somebody will offer you what seems like a better job, more pay, more, more benefits, not so much stress. And it will seem like the perfect setup and you're going to want to jump at that out of the driest moment of your life. And there are some offers that God expects you to refuse. Right in the driest moment of your marriage. Come on, I'm preaching right now. Right in the driest moment of your marriage where you've been fighting rather than loving on one another and where every word is a crossword and where you don't like each other very much, you still love each other but you don't like each other. You know that's possible, right? 
And you wake up and you look across the bed and you go, I don't know if I like this too much anymore. And right at that moment, that cute thing that's never paid you any attention, never given you the time of day at work, will suddenly, out of nowhere, notice you and want your time and want to go to lunch and want to ride in the car together and want to spend time. We're just counseling one another. There are offers that God expects you to refuse right in the driest moment of our life. We always see the pastures that are greener. There's only one problem this morning. Listen to me. Is that most of the time the pasture is greener over there because it's over a septic tank. And when we get over there because of lesson number one, which taught us that wilderness is not a location, it's a condition, we go to the greener pastures and suddenly realize we were just as dry over here as we were over there. We should have stayed and worked it out. God will make you offers. He expects you to refuse. You've got to learn to just say no. Some of you just need to learn to say no. When the phone rings, say no. When the offer comes, say no. That's why it's so important for you to have godly counsel in your life so that you don't make life-altering, relationship-altering decisions in the dry moments. When you're dry, you don't trust your own decisions. You get godly counsel that can help you walk through those decisions. I remember a situation in my life. I graduated college and went to McCall, South Carolina to be a youth pastor. Nothing famous in McCall, about 2,800 people in the whole town. The only only famous thing that's ever happened in McCall, South Carolina, is that that's where they found Michael Jordan's dad when he was murdered. Only thing. Only thing that's ever put McCall on the map. Rough little town. I went there and was serving as a full-time youth pastor, working every day, catch this now, for $6,800 a year. And I did that for a year and a half. And about the year and a half mark, Julie and I got married. She moved from uh, Oklahoma City or Oklahoma to, to McCall, South Carolina. And she's trying to go to college on my salary, $6,800 a year. We're living in a house with no heat and no air. The only heat we had was a, a little unit in the living room. And that was it in the whole house. We would literally have to get up in the morning. When you want to go to the restroom in the winter, you'd have to break the ice out of the toilet before you could use the restroom. And my parents came over for Thanksgiving, and we were going to cook Thanksgiving dinner. The only problem was there was no heat in the kitchen. And so we'd have to run to the living room and heat up and then run to the kitchen and cook a little bit and run to the living room. It wasn't a pleasant environment. And about in the middle of that dry moment of my life, the phone rings. And the largest church in our denomination at that time calls me and says, it's about an hour away. We want you to come and be our youth pastor. And here was the kicker. Here was the bait. And... You name your price. Money is no obstacle. You can name any price you want. You can have it any way. We'll negotiate with you. to All your terms, we'll accept them just the way you want. We just want you to become youth pastor. Let me tell you, that sounded like a good deal. In a dry moment, that sounded like the perfect plan. It would have been easy to jump. But I hit my knees and I began to pray and I called in godly counsel. And you know what? I wouldn't be standing in Oklahoma City at Passion Church right now if I'd accepted that offer. I would have stayed right there for probably for the rest of my life. And God had it all worked out. He made me an offer that he expected me to refuse. And you've got to have the wisdom and the discernment and the godly counsel to know what's what. Or you'll jump at every chance. So you've got to learn the lesson. Some offers must be refused. Lesson number eight. Sir, 
survival lesson number eight. The wilderness will produce offspring in you. Just as true as it is that everyone has to go through the wilderness, this statement is true. The wilderness will produce offspring in your life. And the reason it is important for you to understand this lesson and to learn this is because you have the choice to make, will the wilderness make me bitter or will it make me better? See, if you will allow it, when you start going through the dry times, you will make a conscious decision, I'm going to get angry and I'm going to get mad and I'm going to get hurt. Or you can make up your mind, this must be from God and I can walk through it. I've got the survival techniques down. I can make my way through this. I've learned the lesson and I'm going to let it produce in me the right kind of offspring. See, I understand that it is hard to keep a good attitude when everything is going down. I understand that. But we control our attitude. How many of you understand that you do not control life? If you think you control life, you are out of your mind. You cannot control life. You don't get to decide everything that's going to happen to you. How many of you have ever been dealt a bad hand? Right? You wouldn't have chosen for it to be the way it was. You can't control life, but you can't control your attitude towards life. The wilderness will produce offspring in you. In Moses' life, the wilderness produced self-control and a word from God. In David's life, the wilderness produced in him the ability to lead and to draw people that were hurting to himself and to heal them. The, the wilderness produced in Jesus. Do you understand that Jesus went into the wilderness right before he went into public ministry? So what we can take from that is that the wilderness produced in Jesus, uh, it was a private encounter that produced a public ministry. Now, that's them, but let me take you to this lesson in the Old Testament. Probably of all the individuals in the Old Testament that could have had a problem with dry times and that could have had a bad attitude about dry times and probably deserved to have that attitude was a young man by the name of Mephibosheth. Anybody remember Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. You will remember that Jonathan was the son of Saul. So Saul's the king. Jonathan is the next in line. If something happens to Jonathan, Mephibosheth is a prince waiting in the wings. He should become the next king. Remember that? You will also remember that David and Jonathan loved one another and had a covenant with one another. And they said, we'll remember one another and we'll take care of our families. You remember all that, don't you? When something odd happens on one particular day because of Saul's obedience, they go into battle. And the Bible says that Saul and Jonathan die on the same day in the same battle. You know what that means, don't you? Mephibosheth is supposed to be king. He's five years old when this happens. He's supposed to be king. It wasn't un uncommon for young men to be king in the Old Testament. We had nine-year-olds being king, ten-year-olds being king. And in this instance, this five-year-old little boy was supposed to be king. However, we must also understand the custom of that day was that if there was a young kid as a king, the rivals, those that wanted to be king, would try to kill them. And here's the problem. Mephibosheth's nurse or his nanny understood that and decided that the best thing she could do for this little boy king was pick him up and run with him out of the palace so that no rival could find him and she would hide him away. There was a problem, though. She wouldn't have been recruited to play football at any major college because she had a problem with fumbling. You remember the story? She's running out of the palace, and she trips, and she falls, and she drops Mephibosheth. 
And this healthy little boy who loved to chase the ball and who loved to play hide-and-seek and also happened to have a claim as king, suddenly this healthy little five-year-old boy finds himself a cripple, both legs lame. And the Bible says that what they do with him is this, this nurse picks him up and she takes him to a dry place called Lodi Bar. And she, he hides out there for most from the time he's five until he's an adult. And you've got to understand that Lodi Bar, the name Lodi Bar, means this. It means dry, pastureless, grassless. And one, one translation is this, a place where there's no word. I don't know if you've ever lived there. I've lived there before. It was a dry place. And he's living there. He's living out the days of his life there when suddenly David remembers his covenant with Jonathan. And he says, John, uh, he asked one of his servants, I made a covenant with Jonathan. Isn't there anybody left out of Jonathan's household that I can bless? And the servant turns to David and said, there's one young man. His name is Mephibosheth. He's living in the dry place. And you know the story. David sends for Mephibosheth. And he brings him into the king's household and he sets him at his table and he says, you can live here and eat at my table the rest of your life. End of story. Right? No. You go read 2 Samuel chapter 9 and it's an odd account because it tells all this that I've just told you. And right in the very last few verses, it just almost as an afterthought, it says this. Catch it now. While he's living in Lodibar, it says this. Mephibosheth has a son. And his son's name is Micah. And the chapter ends, and that's the last we hear, basically. There's some other instances, but basically that's the last thing we hear about Mephibosheth. And you go, well, what does that mean? Remember the lesson. The wilderness will produce offspring in you. Do you understand that in the dry place of his life, Lodibar, where this king boy that should have been the next king is living his days out with no word and no grass and no pastures and devastation, the Bible says he has a little son and his name is Micah. And catch this, Micah means God-likeness. And what I want to teach you this morning is this. If you will allow the wilderness times of your life to produce the right offspring, you will walk out of the wilderness and in you and out of you will come a God-likeness, a Christ-likeness, if you will. That is the purpose of the dry times is to produce in you the right offspring. God sends you through those times so that you can become more like Jesus. You have a choice to make. You can either get bitter or you can allow this wilderness dry moment of your life to produce the right offspring in you. You can come out of the wilderness with a bad attitude and a negative attitude and talking about everybody and pointing your finger at everybody and being whiny. Or you can allow the wilderness moments of your life to produce Micah, God-likeness in you, and you can come out stronger than you went in. That's a good lesson right there. You can't control life, but you can you can control the offspring that the dry moments produce in you. Lesson number nine. Survival lesson number nine. Bitter ain't bad. I just need to tell you this. During the dry moments of your life, there will be some bitter things that happen to you. In fact, the truth is, is that some of you I know already have experienced some really bitter things in your life. Some of you have lost loved ones to death, to sickness. 
Some of you have lost families to divorce. Some of you have been forsaken. Some of you have been betrayed. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been devastated by sickness in your family. Some of you have lost everything. You've gone bankrupt. You've lost your finances. You've lost everything. And you've experienced some bitter, bad things, tough losses. But I want to tell you this morning, out of the Old Testament, let me teach you a lesson. Bitter ain't always bad. And I can teach you this out of Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 25, because this is wilderness less, This is Moses' wilderness experience. He's leading the children of Israel out of bondage. They are no longer slaves. They are free. They're three days into their journey, and this is what it says. It says, Moses led Israel onward from the Red Sea, and they went out of the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. And when they came to Mar, they could not drink of the waters of Mar, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Listen to verse 25. And he cried unto Jehovah, and Jehovah showed him a tree. And he cast it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. Listen to this phrase. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. You got to know the background. They've been in bondage for 40, 400 years. And God finally sends them a deliverer in Moses. Moses walks in and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And on the 10th disease, he, or 10th plague, he sends them out. They go three days in the wilderness. God is leading them. How many of you know God was leading them? If we believe that God was leading them for the first three days, then we must understand and believe and acknowledge that at this moment when he leads them to Mar, where the waters are so bitter that they don't think they can drink them, he is still leading them. In fact, we know he was because verse 25 says he tested them there. You know what? I know they tasted bad, and I know that it wasn't enjoyable, but it wasn't deadly. It was just bitter. And I believe with all of my heart that God wanted them to drink the water, but they failed the test. Why do I think that he wanted them to drink the water? Because of this. Archaeologists believe that when you go to Mara, they've been to Mara and they've done some research and they've discovered this. The waters in Mara were bitter because they had a high content of magnesium in them. Do you know what a high content of magnesium does to a person? It's a laxative. It cleans you out. We've got to go back and remember that this, these two million children of Israel had just experienced boils and frogs and flies and death and blood in their water. There was sickness in the camp of, of, of Pharaoh. Everywhere they went, there was death and disease. And I can tell you, I believe this with all of my heart. I think God brought them to Mara and wanted them to drink there so that he could purify them. Was it bitter? Yes. Did it taste bad? Absolutely. Was it enjoyable? No way. Was it necessary? You better believe it because God was trying to purify them. He was using the bitter things to clean them out. But it wasn't just that. Do you know that they also say that not only was there a high content of magnesium, there was a high level of calcium in that water. That's why it tasted so bad. Do you know what happens when you combine magnesium and calcium together? It produces the basis of a, of a drug that we now use called dolomite. Dolomite is used by professional athletes who compete in hot weather, 
so that it will control muscle spasms caused by heat. Let that sink in a second. God brought them to this bitter place to purify them. And he already knew that they were going to have to stay in the wilderness for 40 years because God knows everything. And so not only is he trying to purify them, he's trying to prepare them. And he uses bitter things to do it. See, the truth is this morning, listen to me carefully real quickly. I'm almost done. Listen to me very carefully. We don't learn very well when everything's going great. We learn when everything's going wrong. I, how, how do you prove that? Well, have you ever touched a stove? Once. Because I figured out something. If it's on and I reach out and I grab it, it burns. If you never turn the stove on, I'm going to grab it all day and I'll keep grabbing it till I'm 80 years old. I'll grab it because I never learn in the good times. I learn when it, oh, that hurt. That's when I learn. And what I am saying to you is, yes, what you've been through has been bad. And yes, what you've endured has been bitter. And yes, it wasn't fun. And no, it didn't taste good. And you wouldn't want to go back and do it again. But if you will allow it, God will use the bitter things of your life to purify you and prepare you for the journey that he has for you. That is the lesson this morning. See, I've already opened up some of your closets this morning and told just publicly, I didn't say you by name, but the truth is that some of you have been through some bad things. I know you're smiling real pretty right now, and I know you cleaned up real nice this morning, but the truth is is that some of you have been through some rough stuff, painful, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, stressful situations. And I want to tell you this morning, That God knows our end from the beginning. And He orders the steps of righteous men and women. And I need to tell you from God this morning this. Bitter ain't bad. If you will allow it to work in you what He wants it to work in you. See, you can endure the bitter thing and let it make you bitter. How many of you have ever met anybody who went through a rough time in life and it made them bitter for the rest of their life? They get a victim's mentality. Everybody's out to get me. Nobody loves me. They they don't like me. The government doesn't like me. My neighbors don't like me. My preacher don't like me. My husband don't like me. My wife don't like me. My kids don't like me. My friends don't. My boss don't like me. They get a victim's mentality because they drink the bitter thing and let the bitterness get into them. And in this situation, what God wanted to do is he wanted to allow the bitter to come in and pass through them. I just need to tell some of you this morning, it was bitter. And it was painful. But it was on purpose. Let that sink in. It was on purpose. So that God could purify you and prepare you for what he has for your life. I want you to stand with me this morning. I would tell you this. If it's bitter, swallow. Hold your nose if you have to. But swallow your pride and swallow swallow your anger and swallow your, your aggravation and understand that if I'm walking according to the plan of God for my life, and it's bitter, it must be on purpose, and he wants to use that thing that the enemy meant for harm. God can turn it. Man, we've heard these words before this morning. He can turn it around. 
and make it beneficial to my life if I allow him to. And I get to choose because I get to choose the offspring that the wilderness produces in me. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you that we don't have to die in the dry times. We can actually grow and mature and prosper spiritually in the dry times. I pray this morning that you touch your people and let us learn these lessons because they are crucial for us to become everything that you want us to become. Help us not to just hear this stuff and go home and forget it. I pray that we would write it down and remember it because if we haven't been in the dry time, it's coming. And we need to be prepared. In Jesus' name, this is what I want us to do this morning. I want to have two very special prayers this morning. I've been, I've sensed this all week that God wanted to deal with these two areas. If you're here and you've got a hard decision to make, you're being, offers are coming, choices are coming into your life. Maybe it's a job choice. Maybe it's a relationship choice. Maybe it's a career change. Maybe you need to make some really hard decision about your kids and what to do. Maybe it's some other relationship. Just hard decisions. The Bible says that if any man lacks wisdom, all he has to do is say, God, I need wisdom. And you need to be able to differentiate between the, the offers that God is making and expects you to accept, the, the, divine, the divine opportunities and encounters that God has for you to walk through, the doors that He's opening up. And you also need to have the wisdom to know which doors I am expected to let them close because this is not from God. He doesn't want me to go there. He's testing me. If that's you this morning and you've got hard decisions to make and you need wisdom, then very quickly I want you to step out and stand right here. We're going to pray for you. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 